this week we take you to um wait i haven't seen any of these films well according to wikipedia they are um uh hang on a second uh, welcome to they don't make them like they used to Good evening, we are your Friday night slice of film nostalgia, harking back to the classic movies of the pre-1980s era. My name is Tosin, but never mind me, let's switch to the oh-so-knowledgeable film-savvy people who have actually seen tonight's films. So, hello Sean. Hello there. Good evening, Joe. Hiya. And how fare thee, fair Sharon? I'm well, thank you, Tosin. Cool, cool. How did everybody enjoy the warmest day of the year so far? That was beautiful, yeah. That was nice. lovely. Yeah. Very nice. Well, nobody, nobody actually suffer any sort of like trouble of dust coming from the Sahara. No, no, no. Yeah, my I car had a bit, of, did a bit of dust on the windscreen. Yeah, I had to wash can't off. tell with my car. <laughs> 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 it hasn't had its annual clean yet. So the, the skirting boards in our house are sort of dusty. I suppose we could blame that on the Sahara, but I don't. I think that's more my wife being lazy. <laughs> 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 moving <me>. swiftly on <laughs> so um yeah also joining us this week is going to be eileen from alveston ward a pet ward so eileen spoke to us today saying something about some of the films that she saw when she was younger so yeah eileen thank you for joining us and we will be speaking we'll be hearing from you soon hello eileen Hello, hello, Alveston. <laughs> yeah, hello, Alveston. <laughs> hello, Alveston. <laughs> so each week we pick a couple of films that we say are classics, like and that that you, being a person better than myself, should get busy watching. Joe gets our first pick of the week, hey. and so Joe, what have you got for us? Right, I'm not going to tell you the name of this film to start with. I'm going to let you guess. I will say, however, that it is from not only my favourite director of all time, but the greatest director of all time. I think those of you who have listened to the show before will know who I'm talking about. The director is king of suspense, of thrillers, uh, and, uh, well, let's let's let him uh, explain something about this film, see if you can guess from what he says. Okay, all right, well, let's listen to this. This is Alfred Hitchcock speaking. In the past, I have given you many kinds of suspense pictures, but this time I would like you to see a different one. The difference lies in the fact that this is a true story, every word of it, and yet it contains elements that are stranger than all the fiction that has gone into many of the thrillers that I've made before. Yes. So, for those of you who were not able to guess what film that was from the introduction that Alfred Hitchcock and Joe, when you said Alfred Hitchcock, my thought was, no, what? Yeah. Joe picks a Hitchcock movie? It's rare, isn't it? No. It's not very often these days. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who were not able to guess what film it was, Joe, what film was that? It was uh, the fantastic 1956 The Wrong Man. Okay, The Wrong Man. So tell us a little bit about the film. Have you seen The Wrong Man, uh, Tozen? No, I have not seen The Wrong <laughs> as I As I said, no, I have not seen The Wrong Man. What, what gives you that? What, what clued you into that? No, no nothing. No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a tragedy, and uh, it's probably, for me, the scariest film Hitchcock ever made. And that's uh, saying something, because he made Psycho and other crazy films. And Frenzy. And Yeah, exactly. But there's something about The Wrong Man that just reaches into your life and makes you go, 
whoa, I really, really hope that doesn't happen to me. And that was uh, obviously coming straight out of Hitchcock's own fears of, of law and of the police and of the system being the thing that ultimately can bring you down if you get on the wrong side of it. And that's what happens to our hero, the uh, incredibly likable Henry Fonda, in a, in a role here where his whole life gets destroyed and pulled down around him. So, and, it's, and it's tragic. It's a really tragic spiral into, into misery. So, so what happens? What's the basic premise? Okay, uh, hardworking Henry Fonda uh, can just about, just about manage to get by, pays the bills, just about... Um, but his wife uh, incurs this this um, rather large dental bill, something that needs to be paid. You know, she's in pain, needs to be done. He goes in to try and get a loan from his insurance office and is mistakenly identified as a criminal that has held up the office twice in the past. And from then on, poor old Henry Funder is, is in trouble. He didn't do anything to deserve it, and he's taken down the station and goes through the whole legal process and ends up being locked up and... And it's just a nightmare. And he's totally innocent. The, the, I mean, some there are theories out there that say, is he innocent? Did he do it? I mean, I think uh, the, the feeling I got from it was, yeah, of course he is. That's the point of the film. And he just happened to be the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. He happened to be the wrong man. And he suffered for it. And, it, and it's terrifying. And it ultimately, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it tears his family apart. And it affects his wife quite badly. She doesn't know what's going to happen. Is her husband ever coming home? He's in prison the shame of it, the way it affects the, the way the people around them behave towards them. Yeah, well, when, what what decade was this film made in? 1956. All right, okay, yeah. So that would have fed into the whole shame of it. Like, oh, like, completely, absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. That's why his, his wife actually has a, a complete breakdown. Um, and her, her mental health issues arise from it, and it all goes horribly wrong. And, and it's... It's terrible. It's a really, really scary film, and you just think the guy did nothing to deserve this. And and Hitchcock said that it's all true. Is this is that him being his old showmanship thing, or is that actually true? Um, I imagine at some point in the history of the world, somebody uh, was accused of a crime they didn't commit. I think that's the point he's getting at. Okay, go. Okay, gotcha. So, you know, it can happen, the kind of thing there. And there's obviously Hitchcock was scared of the police. He, he made no secret of that. Throughout his career, he was interviewed, and he said, why is it that... You portray the law as this relentless, um, uh, almost this relentless monster that tracks people down that don't deserve it. And I mean, how many of his films are people wrongly thought thought to have committed crimes wrongly? The North by Northwest, um, the Thirty Nine Steps, even in Psycho, when Janet Lee pulls her pulls in to get some sleep on the road, the guy that wakes her up is this incredibly imposing policeman, emotionless with these sunglasses on, and 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 is 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 uh, pursuing her across the country as she's trying to find somewhere to hide out where she eventually comes across the Bates motel but but it's this this idea of the law as as the thing that's going to bring you down whether you deserve to to be followed by it or not all right so okay um how early or at what stage of his career was this made at was this was this early hollywood middle hollywood before they kicked him out this was 56 so it it was it was after it sort of he went over to hollywood this was this was during the, the sort of run of his big feature films, really. All right. Okay. There was, on, on about the plate, that's, that's strange you should say that, because um, I saw an Australian film quite recently. It was called Felony, and basically it was this policeman that was was a little bit of a hero, but he drove home a bit drunk, and he, he knocks a, someone off their bike, and but he goes back, but he says, oh, someone else someone else did it, and, and it's about the police colluding oh, yeah? together. Yeah, yeah, it's quite quite a good film. So Sorry. 
Joe. No, no. <laughs> I'd say that. It's called felony, by the way. If anybody so catches it. Or made by the Australian Hitchcock. That's it, Australian Hitchcock, yeah. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Hitchcock. So, but Henry Fonda, great actor. Well, yeah, to put it in context, it was the film you made. You made um, The Man Who Knew Too Much, 56, The Wrong Man, 56, and then Vertigo uh, was his next film back uh, in 58, and then North by Northwest. So, yeah, it was right in the middle there of, of his very of, successful of his, Hollywood of his prolific. Yeah. But it, it seems that The Wrong Man may have been a bit overshadowed by the, those that came oh, around totally, it. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, it, it's also um, incredibly underrated, I think. I really do. I think people dismiss it really because it's not you know all singing all dancing all guns blazing it's not a, a, it doesn't have Cary Grant in it it doesn't have Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart in it which, which it's incredible that I've seen it um, but <laughs> does it have a cool blonde in it uh, no I wouldn't say so yeah, it's, it's more focusing on his on his fear of the police rather than his fear of women I think it was one, one of those types of films because he had those two fears. It's like the, the, the kinds of the, the Hitchcock movies: fear of police, fear of women. That's right, and that's being it. made had to make this film to fulfill a contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the ones that he's really resent, resentful of, and yet one best picture for Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, because. Let's go to the music that we just heard, right? And so that was a score by oh, Bernard Herrmann. It was far too cheery, wasn't it? I know. I it mean, doesn't it does, fit. Because you, you hear that and you think, like, I think Sharon said that she thinks that like, she feels like she has some castanets or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It I'm does I'm thinking I need to be like a, like a Hawaiian yeah. shirt or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you're telling us it's this really, really depressing film. I'll yeah. tell you why it fits. This is before the depression sets. And this is this is Henry Fonda is the hardworking guy that, that, that would do anything for, for his family that's... Uh, He's also a, a musician. That's part of the theme. He makes his money in a, in a jazz band, I think. So, okay. so there's, there's that kind of really upbeat beginning. So when we were playing our imaginary castanets and maracas, we weren't far off then, really. That was, it was, that, that was life before. was sunny and lovely. Before. That was it. That was before you were accused of, of holding up an insurance office twice, Sharon. That, yeah, that would be a downer, wouldn't it? That would. It would. It would ruin your life, and it does. Yeah. Oh, because when you talk about those fears, I mean, when you, uh, it's. It sounds like Frenzy, because I, I remember Frenzy is probably, of the Hitchcock films I've seen, it's the least Hitchcock film of the... I remember a friend of mine who says that she doesn't like the film <laughs> because she expects glamour and glitz and all that kind of stuff from Hitchcock, and it's really sort of like a down-dirty London film. But it plays on this same idea of, okay, this is the way the law just sort of like railroads this man and says this man did it when this man didn't actually do anything. And mm. this man was... Well, he was not a very nice person, but he was innocent. Well, Frenzy is a nasty film. And it by anyone's standards, nice. it's a nasty <laughs> film. There's no getting away from it. But that was almost Hitchcock's response to a lot of the other films that came out. And, and the way that cinema was headed at, at that time, it was getting nastier. It was getting more explicit that you were seeing more than you had before. Um, and so his response to that was to make a Hitchcock film only to show you as much of it as he actually could and make it as nasty as he could. He is good, though. He does tap into that fear. And I'd say it's one of those basic fears of any civilised country is that, you know, you're innocent until you are proven guilty. And the fact that he's an innocent man, but he that doesn't protect him is yeah. what's scary, isn't yeah. it? That your innocence is sometimes is not enough. Yeah. It's almost like it's Napoleonic, isn't it, that you are presumed guilty and then you have to show that you're not. Mm. When you think, no, 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 that goes against what we would guard as being our legal system and what was justice. When, when you shake so, up that kind of an mm. assumption in society, then you really do scare people. Uh, Hitchcock would have a field day with cyberbullying. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't he just? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that would be a terrifying film, a Hitchcock cyberbullying film. <laughs> a Hitchcock cyberbullying film. It would be brilliant, <laughs> so, definitely. 
Cyber Psycho. <laughs> Coming soon to your dreams. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if everyone's heard the story that Hitchcock said again and again and again in virtually every interview he ever gave, but when he was young, his father, he'd done something as a kid that was naughty, you know, he'd stolen the last cookie or something, and, and his father had actually sent him down to the local police station. It said, go down to the police station and give him this note. And the note, the father had obviously written on the note, please put my son in a cell for five minutes. So that's what the policeman did. He actually locked, locked a young child, Hitchcock, up for a little while and sort of said, this is the cell, this is what will happen if you keep, you know, doing things that are wrong. And that, as a, as a child, scared the hell out of him. And from that time on, you see that fear of the law and that fear of getting caught. This is actually one thing I know, I experienced from my years when I worked for the police, is that police officers would say to parents, please don't threaten your children with the police. But if you're naughty, the police are going to come and get you. Because they're saying this makes children scared of the police. And when they're in trouble or when they're frightened, they want them to be able to go to the police. And it does tap into into that fear that children are threatened with, if you're naughty, the police are going to come and take you away. And it makes them scared of the police. Actually, um, I don't do, I'm not involved in policing at all anymore. And but me and my business partner, we both were ex-police. In I was a civilian, he was a police officer, and we're gardeners now. And we came to a client this week who said, "Hey, are the police is here?" And because the children have been naughty, and they threatened them <laughs> that we'll come in. <laughs> and the children were messing around in the garden. They said, "Did you bring your handcuffs?" And yeah. we were like saying, "Always, they're always about our person somewhere." <laughs> and these two little ones, they looked at us for a minute as if to think, "Are they really?" <laughs> Yeah, don't threaten the kids with the police, otherwise yeah, you'll become the world's greatest director. <laughs> that, that's the moral. Here. That's the moral. Or <laughs> uh, the world's greatest supervillain who's intent on wiping out all police. Yeah, they're uh, the good guys, really. <laughs> they are the good guys, really. I'm less worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think that, that would make a great film. Yeah, it's like, why did you become yeah. a super? Why did you become a super uh, super villain, Mister Blofeld? Mm. Because my parents told me the police would come and take me away. I wanted to get naughty. to them first. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get rid of them before they get me. <laughs> But Hitchcock, I think that this does speak to his his sort of knack for spotting what frightens people, isn't it? Yep. It's turning the the mundane on its head. It's like the birds, isn't it? It's taking. Well, <laughs> Daphne Dumoro did it first. She wrote the novel, the <sighs> short story. But it's like turning something everyone likes, going, "Oh, lovely birds," to making them something <laughs> terrifying. Mm. And it's like saying the police is something they're supposed to defend us mm. to being something that takes us away. Well, the tagline for the film was. An innocent man has nothing to fear. I mean, that that's absolutely not true. That's what the film <laughs> yeah. proves to you. It does. And you, you don't want to be that innocent man. God, you may as well have done something wrong if you're yeah. going to get locked up. And this was coming <laughs> at a time, morals. wasn't it, when we had things like Derek, the Derek Bentley thing where he was an innocent man who was hanged for murder, wasn't that's it? That's it. So you've got comes on people who would have been aware of that and the consequences of, I know this was like a robbery and not a murder. But Let him have it, Chris. Had, exactly. <laughs> had it been a capital offence, then this man's life could have been taken away from him. Yeah. Well, we don't know. We haven't seen the film. Well, I haven't seen the film. Which so, you should rectify. <laughs> so I don't, for, for all I know, Henry Fonda got, like, you know, ends up like, what's his name, Derek Bentley? Yeah, he yeah. was hanged. Yeah. For all I know, that's what happened. I'm not going to confirm or deny that. But <laughs> like, I think been. for me, the, the fact that, you know, the wife is the one that suffers in a way ends up even worse at the end of the film than, than Henry Fonda's character. And that's where the real tragedy lies. Even if everything is straightened out, even if everything... You know, if the guy's uh, allowed his life back, it's not the same. The thing that what these, this family has been through and how their life has been pulled down around them, it's going to take a long time to get over. Yeah, some things can't be undone, that's can it. they? Okay. So, thank you very much for that. I doubt that's going to be the last we hear of Leighton Stone's finest. 
as, as, as this show goes on. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get another Hitchcock in soon. <laughs> There's soon. one on my list yeah, I, coming up. I, I, I think. That? What have you? What have I you think got? Joe, oh, we're gonna have to have. Oh, now Joe, I'm excited. I think we're gonna have to have like you know a sort of not quite a moratorium, but a quota. You're allowed to have one every five. Uh, 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 <laughs> four, four, one a month. <laughs> That could be my time of the month. One Hitchcock hour. <laughs> <laughs> we just get get like it all him. out. Get it all You'll out. Have to talk like him, Joe. Go on, give us an impression. My name is Alfred Hitchcock, and uh, uh, I'm the greatest director ever ever in the world. He always sounded like he was swallowing right his down. cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually how he died. He sw- what? <laughs> no, no, sorry. That's not true. <laughs> Good lord. Good lord. All right, cool. So, wait a second. There we are. So every week, Joe comes up with a film quiz where he, he talks about his film legend and he comes up with four clues for a fi- uh, four or more clues for a film legend, which he, he sort of drip feeds throughout the show. And we've got to try and guess who the film legend is before the film is, before the show's over. So if you want to play along, Eileen, um, whew, imagine if it was Stuart Granger. That would be great, wouldn't it? But anyway, so um, Joe, what's the first clues today? This screen legend is not Stuart Granger. No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This screen legend has the distinction of twice playing former British Prime Minister David Lloyd George. Okay. Okay. I thought, you know, with the politics uh, playing a big part at the moment, uh, that would be a good clue to start off with. So British Prime Minister David Lloyd George was played twice by this screen legend. All right, okay. cool. Good stuff. Bushy moustache. Yeah. Right. Good start, good start. And we shall leave it there hmm. because I think all of us are sort of like, I didn't even know there was a prime minister called that. This is this is like a show of me not knowing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, British prime ministers. <laughs> <laughs> People who have played British prime ministers. <laughs> Michael Sheen, all of them. Well, yeah. <laughs> even, right. even Thatcher. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> she not, was more likable as Sheen. <laughs> she was, yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, now, ev- well, every week I go into the hospital and I speak to people and I ask them two questions. Number one, what was the first film you ever saw in the cinema? And number two, what's your greatest film of all time? This week, I went to a pet ward, Alveston, and um, spoke to Eileen. And Eileen had this to say. If you start by telling me um, your name, Eileen. Okay, Eileen. Yeah. Right, so, if you just tell us the story of the first time you went to the cinema. Oh, it would, be, would have been many, many years ago. Um, but the films I do remember seeing are films that had people like Gene Simmons, Stuart Ranger, um, things like that. And they were wonderful films. And, and they were. When you look at the, the bad things that they have in films today, they're nothing like those films. They were very sort of relaxing and very, very lovely. The music halls and things like that, you know, films with some really lovely music in and some very good stories too. And things like, um, that had uh, f- film stars like, uh, what's his name, Lauren Bacole and... Um, Oh, what was the gentleman she played in a film with him? Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart, that's it, yeah, yeah. That film, that, that film was very good, very good. And I think that that's about all I can remember. <laughs> okay. was, that the, was that the film with the, you know how to whistle, don't you? Yeah. Just put your lips together and blow. Yeah, 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 it was good fun, good fun. <laughs> but the films you enjoyed, you know, they really were. 
Um, they, they were um, just a, a lovely evening out when you went to the cinema, you know, but uh, I'm afraid I don't go for all these science fiction films and all the rest of it, definitely not. <laughs> so you're not a superhero fan or anything like that? No, 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 no. You no. will not be watching The Avengers? Definitely not. Oh, yes, I like The Avengers. I like The Avengers. They were very good. Oh, the old, the old, oh, the old Avengers, yeah. With John yeah. Steed and... John Steed and uh, what was her name? The Emma name? Peel. Emma Peel, yes, yeah. all them. Oh, yes, I love them. They were good. Yeah, they were good films. Not like the everyday one today. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Eileen. I think we, we managed to go through a slight crossing of wires there. But I uh, did a bit of a search and found a film that had both Stuart Granger and Gene Simmons in it. And just for you, Eileen, to have a little bit of a walk down memory lane, we found the original trailer or the sounds for the original trailer. So here's the original trailer of a movie, Young Bess, for you, starring Gene Simmons and Stuart Granger. After six tireless years in its ambitious preparation, young Bess comes to the screen to capture your imagination with the treachery, violence, and beauty of the Elizabethan age. You will see Gene Simmons as young Bess, a woman of many passions, great enough to welcome suspicion and disregard scandal and find her own happiness through devotion to her people. Through the distracting maze of court intrigue and beneath the shadow of the executioner, she fights her way to survival and triumph. She loves life, she loves fun. She loves England. Stuart Granger as the heroic Admiral Tom Seymour, a prince of lovers to whom Bess loses her heart but keeps her head. Deborah Carr as Catherine Parr, her heart ruled by a hero who was mighty England's man of the hour. Charles Lawton as the bluff, laughing King Hal of history. Long live the king. A man of many moods. And haven't your tutors told you that the world is round? They must be wrong and the world is flat. So it's flat. You shape the world as it suits you. Why not? Didn't you? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I must talk to you. This hour and in my room and you in your bed gone? Use your head and allow me to keep mine on my shoulders. Do you know what this would mean if you were caught here? Take care, madam. I'm warning you. Who are you? To warn the protector's wife, my mother's daughter. Exactly. And following in her footsteps, spending the night with any handsome gallant who chooses to drop his kerchief. That was Anne Bullen. I'm not like you, strong and independent. But I, I need Tom. He cannot mean all that to you. He means my whole life to me. I've always loved you long before you married her. I didn't want to hurt her. It should never have happened. But I can't stop loving you, Tom. I love you. There are many witnesses who, under pressure, have testified to this shameless love affair. A love affair of which even Queen Catherine accused you on her death. You lied. 
She knew me. She loved me. She was my friend. But you were not hers. The astonishing story of this queen-to-be comes to life before your very eyes in this galaxy of pictorial brilliance. The colorful castle ball. The royal banquet at which an unholy alliance was plotted. The grim ordeal of Queen Anne Boleyn. The valiant English fleet sailing forth to sea to repel the invading French armada. As compelling and turbulent as the sea itself is this rousing story of the proud princess born of a great king and an unhappy queen. There it is, Eileen. I hope you enjoyed that. Young Bess, that was um, about the young life of Elizabeth I. Anybody seen any other Stuart Granger? I've seen that one. You've seen that uh, one? Yeah. Oh, what did you reckon? It's, I don't think it's. you could describe it as being historically <laughs> accurate. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it's fun. It's one of those... I think they were trying to cash in on the whole Robin Hood and the swashbuckler type thing and to give a... a female character that sort of swashbuckle herself so i thought yeah i thought it was fun a british daft. elizabeth and essex i reckon yes <laughs> i think was it was responding to that wasn't it is to give her that yeah. forbidden romance well elizabeth and essex is um terrific film errol flynn film oh yeah um, and uh i think it's, it's betty davis plays queen yeah, elizabeth she's the a bit first. older elizabeth in that yeah film, she's an older she? elizabeth and essex is like oh and there's like a real real tension between them but also well, all sorts of different types of tension. And and I think on the set of that, Betty Davis really didn't like Errol Flynn because he gave her a slap on the behind oh. <laughs> in the film. But anyway, um, back to Stuart Granger, on about swashbuckling film, terrific film with him in, I think, is Moonfleet. Oh, yeah. And this is a film about smugglers and being a Dorset boy, and it's about smugglers in Dorset. And he's like an aristocrat because he plays aristocrat. Stunning. He did play those sort of aristocratic roles, yeah. didn't he? Was he in one? And I was thinking Errol Flynn might be as well, but was he in a version of like Kim? Um, there might have been something similar to that, or one I of think. those type deserty. Yeah, well, he was things. in. I think he was in um, one of those biblical epics, Sodom and Gomorrah. Where yeah. he, was, he played a bit of a villain in that, I think. Well, um, biblical epics. The same year as Young Bess was the Robe, which was uh, Jean Simmons. Jean Simmons. Yeah. Yes, because she was. Wasn't she in Quo Vadis as well? Or am I getting that? Right. Well, I think he was. He turned down the lead for Quo Vadis. Right. He, he turned down the lead for Quo Vadis. I think he was other one. Was was Richard Burton in Quo Vadis? Yeah, he was. Uh, because I think. And he was in the Robe, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I was reading was. about this. Oh, and it's so was John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I wore a robe this morning. <laughs> yes. come out the bathroom. We're just gonna we're just gonna start playing like you know classic Hollywood legend bingo, <laughs> something like that. I, recently on the TV, I watched I watched the film The Wild Geese the other day. Oh, oh and, yeah, 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 yeah. In that he plays Sir Edward Matheson. Oh yeah, because he's the best. Because he he and Richard Burton were very good friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think they all came through. There was some British studio. I can't remember the name of it. That they all, that him, Richard Burton, and to, I, was, I was reading his obituary the other day, and they were oh earlier today, and they were talking about um the the stars who all came up together, and how a lot of Richard Burton's roles were actually originally offered to Stuart, Stuart Granger, Granger yeah. and 
the you've got like Lawrence Harvey at that time, haven't you? He's yeah, that think, sort of mould, and Peter yeah. O'Toole is he of a similar mould? I don't, I don't think Peter O'Toole. Great no. actors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about the same mould. Yeah. Heavy drinkers. Yes. We could talk, we could do a whole program on heavy yeah. drinking actors. Of Richard Harris. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Lee Marvin. <laughs> yeah, because I think they said that. Um, I think A Star Is Born, which was probably, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm That's I'm, James Mason. I'm thinking of James born. Mason, not Richard Burton. I'm getting I'm confused. Oh, good lord! This Just is... think of the one with the incredibly sexy voice, and you've got Richard Burton there. Yeah, my mum and my... James Mason. He had a good voice. Not nothing like Richard. Burton. <laughs> Richard Burton was something. Yeah. Yeah. Was well, I've got to say, my mum. Oh. Right when I said out of all that, you'd think of all these Hollywood hunks and that because I don't know, but she goes, she says, "Oh, Richard Burton. Yeah, Richard Burton. He is so manly, and that voice is to." The Dyfel. Totally. I mean, that's War of the Worlds. War of the, World, the Jeff Wayne War of the, the Worlds. Yeah. It's narrated by Richard Burton. That's right. And at the start of Zulu. Yes, that's right. Yeah. All, all about, yeah, he narrates. I might need to go so, I, mean, I might need to go watch some Richard Burton movies with my eyes closed now. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yes. definitely. Listen to the, but the, yeah, just listen to the beginning of War of the Worlds. Watch, where, watch where, Cleopatra. Where Eagles <laughs> There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, some we're great going off stuff. track a bit now. Yeah, we but are. We are. <laughs> but, 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 but they're but, all good actors, and then in the whole mould of Stuart Granger and those manly men mm. from those days. Have, have you but seen? I'm surrounded by manly men, so it's not a bad thing. <laughs> and me. Have you seen Moonfleet? <laughs> Don't leave me out. I'm not <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. book boy. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, one of your favourite actors in that, George Sanders. Oh, now there's a voice. <laughs> there's wait, another good voice. Wait, wait. So you, you're saying you had Stuart Granger and George Sanders in the same film? Yep. Film called Moonfleet. Oh, got that. Must have been like a massive chin off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because those men they had some imposing, strong chins. Yeah. <laughs> there was a certain type of type, wasn't it? There was a certain look that was a fifties look. That was, I mean, was that was like the ma- that was going to be the leading man. Yeah, I mean, but if you looked through like knitting patterns from the nineteen fifties, everybody looked like Stuart Granger in them. <laughs> Did, does, um, That's why he looks so familiar. <laughs> yeah. Does, does Kirk Douglas count as a chin or not? No, oh. he goes, this goes the other way. <laughs> oh, this yeah, goes yeah. In. <laughs> it's still pretty prominent. It's still pretty prominent. I'd like to, if it rained and uh, Douglas tilted his head up, he could actually hold water <laughs> in his chin. I'd love to see him try that. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, you know, the way we to hear us speak, you think that these men just sort of turned their they turned like one physical attribute into a whole career. But no, they were good actors. They acted too. Yeah, they were yeah. really, really good. And he had a long career, didn't he? Stuart Granger. I mean, I remember seeing him in like television films for the, in the 80s, right up until when he was a very elderly man. Yeah, uh, apparently he, he he went into TV because he his vanity wouldn't let him take the older character roles that they were offering him in, in movies. So mm. uh, so when he got around to his 40s and they started offering him roles for older people and he wasn't supposed to be the swash, swashbuckling hero anymore, he was kind of like, no, I'm not doing that. And so he sort of retreated towards theatre and um, theater and TV. You know who else did a lot of TV in the 80s? Jean Simmons. She was in an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents back in, <laughs> oh, back in 1988. Lord. Oh, good. Now, there's so a good yeah. director. We haven't really talked about her, but she was a very pretty ingenue, wasn't she? She was in, like, she wasn't she original Estelle in Great Expectations? Wow, yeah, what year was that? The David Lean one. Isn't was that, that 36? 30 something? Uh, yeah. She was in Great Expectations. I don't yeah, she was the young Estelle. 46, that's right. Then she later played Miss Havisham because I know at the time people were sobbing saying, you know, what has she come to? But you know, she had, she ha- yeah. would have been an attractive woman in her youth, Miss Havisham. So. Just before Black Narcissus, which yeah. she was in 47, a year later. Yeah. yeah well, wow. She's one of those sort of screen legends that I, I can't really picture her face. 
Guys and Dolls. She was in Guys and Dolls. She oh, was the yeah. one who was um, spooning with Marlon Brando. Oh, so she was the she was the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army lady. Yeah, yeah Salvation Army lady. Oh, but and also, was there somebody in Carry On who has a similar name to her? Barbara uh, Windsor. Jo- um, <laughs> Joan Sims. Joan oh, Simmons. Joan Sims. Oh, Joan Sims. That's it. Yeah, oh, that's bless. it. That's because when I heard Gene Simmons, I was like, the Carry On lady. What was she doing? <laughs> <laughs> I fancy one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> what, Joan Sims? No. <laughs> She's an armful of loveliness, I'm what sure. What you say? What's wrong with Joan? Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, thank you very much, Eileen. For, <laughs> <laughs> for that madness. Thank you for, yeah, for that madness, for setting us off on one. Apparently. And can I just say, Eileen, uh, at this moment, you mean everything. Come on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've, I've got to mention. You stopped, stu- just about, you stopped just around the moment I realised what you were doing and I was going to join in. No, don't. C- can I mention one good um, film, Stuart Granger? It was King Solomon's Mines as well. If anyone oh, yeah, that. That yeah. A good, good, a yes, good story. That, that was his first big lead role. Yeah. Was that his old, was it Alan Quarter? He was indeed, yeah. yes. Mm. Yeah. Cool, good stuff. And after that round of Wikipedia... Wikipedia hotshot or Wikipedia random things it is now time for our second clue Uh, you you wouldn't know that we actually put this show together um, um, (laughs) as well as we do but the second clue here is this screen legend cited Richard Burton as one of his major influences Stuart Granger not Stuart (laughs) Granger (laughs) Richard Britton is one of his major influences. Come on. So that he, ties up nicely. Come on, that was... It awesome. does It does stand up quite nicely. But well, he's sounding more and more Welsh, isn't he? David Lloyd George and Richard Burton. So there's something Welsh going on, I think. Ooh. David Lloyd George was, was Welsh. Just, yeah. th- thanks. And, thanks. Thank you very much for that. I think that's given me a huge clue. <laughs> 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 thanks, Sharon. you just given me an idea now who it might be. A Welsh person who was younger than Richard Burton might, might have also been around, around about that time. That's That's... Yeah, I, 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 um, I think uh, Sean has a, a look of confidence. <laughs> I don't know so much. Across his oh, face. Wait, you, you I don't know so much. He's oh, no, doing jo- that whole cocky kind of. <laughs> no, go on, not man. yet. Not go yet. On, jo- man. Joe, no, you, you weren't around last night, right? You weren't around last night. But okay, the four of us actually go to a film quiz every week at the Cine World in uh, Cine World on, on Coppins Bridge. And last night, at the fr- <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen you. There was a ru- there was a round on sixties movies, and you should have seen Sean's face. Uh, Sean was just kind of like, "Oh yeah, loving this. I got this. I got- this is my house." Did, yeah, did, he, did, did you win? Did you, we win? No, we didn't. Win. Oh, who won? Some guy on his own. I forget the guy's name. No way. Yeah, wait. Oh, so, dear. Snow- so my team, Snowbeast, didn't come in. No, they then. came last. <gasps> no. Yeah, oh, my last. God. We came. That's because I wasn't third. there. Tozen came second. Yep. And the guy came. And we didn't. Oh. Well, I'm talking oh. to you about okay. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, 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 enough of our presence. We're, we're just going to fade those guys down. and just going to get them out of there. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Only problem is that now I, I need to bring Sean back because oh, nice. <laughs> Sean, Sean. Hiya, hiya. So we, you, you get a second pick of this week of a film that was made before 1980 that you say bona fide classic. What have you chosen? Okay, today this 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 is a terrific movie, and I've seen it on many occasions and and watched clips, and it is um, rollable, 
1975 okay. rollable. Oh, the Bond film. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, good lord, this yeah. is this is pulling it's, it's apart today. From, <laughs> this is really from it's the herding cats, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, good lord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the opening scene in this movie when 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 they play Bark, you know, and they 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 play Bark, and it's so nice piece of classical music. Um, yeah, it's a great, great, great film. I don't know if you've got any any bits well, from it. Yeah, well, play? we've we've got the we uh, we can do a uh, what's the word? We can, okay. do, I can talk about all the no, 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 no. We, we we can do like you know a, a comparison of what like you know young best that was the fifties, right? Right. What the trailer in the fifties sounded like to compared to what trailer in the seventies sounded like because we actually have the rollerball official oh, trailer audio, brilliant. which I which I think has some of that music in it. Cool. Uh, well, it's classical anyway. But yeah, here we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. serves us it has a definite social purpose nations are bankrupt gone no poverty no sickness man has accomplished what he'd always craved corporate society was an inevitable destiny for good luck a centuries old dream you better do as you're told jonathan that's all i have to say don't be here when i come back you won't be back, Johnny Boy. No player is greater than the game itself. It's not a game a man is supposed to grow strong in, Jonathan. You still don't understand why I came. You're the only person I ever wanted. Wanted you on my side. That's all. The books you've ordered are classified and have been transcribed and summarized. Well, who summarizes Zero, of course. He's the world's brain. Does it answer you? It speaks. Mm -hmm. I'd like, uh... I'd like, uh, some information about corporate decisions, uh, how they're made and who makes them. They're afraid of you, Jonathan. All the way to the top, they are. The game was created to demonstrate the futility of individual Let the game do its work. Game! This wasn't meant to be a game! Okay, Sean, 
What was that all about? Um, this is it. That was, that was a great trailer. That sort of explained it all. It's basically a, a world in the future. There's no real countries. It's just run by major corporations, which, which if you look at things nowadays... Sounds like you. Yeah, yeah, it does a bit. Sounds like like, like up to date. So there's no wars or not. And, and basically, there's this game called Rollerball, and it's a cross between roller derby, American football, and... Jonathan, there's this character called Jonathan played by James Kahn, one of my most favourite actors, and um, he basically is like a bit of a star in the game, and in this game there can't be any stars they don't want there to be any stars, so John Houseman terrific voice (laughs) talking about voices um, he sort of persuades him to try and retire they try to get him to retire, but he doesn't want to retire so they change the rules of the game the first game's just like a normal game against Houston, against them sorry Madrid and then the second game which is against um, Tokyo they change the rules so there's limited substitutions and you know not so many penalties they've cut down on the penalties but he wins that game and then the final game against New York there's no substitutions and no penalties so it's basically a free-for-all because they're trying to get him killed basically or trying to get him put out the game so they change the rules of this game uh hoping that something really bad's going to happen so, to him. So it just just take us back a bit. So okay. the, in this in that trailer we heard that they were talking about how it wasn't meant to be a game or this game was supposed to XYZ. So what what was the game created for? Well basically it was like to some of it was to settle disputes and to keep keep people keep people happy, you know, give them entertainment, a bit of a gladiatorial type thing. Oh, yeah. Um so that they didn't get, you know, because I think you see in the film the the crowds get whipped up into hysteria, you know, so and they're like banging on the perspex and stuff so so that's basically out, yeah so there's no more wars, not, yeah not on the corporations high up the high up yeah so, so the corporations control everything um and uh sounds very so like roman Colosseum, like yeah very very much so okay um but uh of course one of these corporate men has taken his wife so he's, he's really angry about it they've she's decided that she wants to go and and live a corporate life, you know, and have these big parties where they take all sorts of pills and. Oh, oh, oh! So she actually leaves him. <coughs> she as leaves opposed to him. She's yeah, kidnapped. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's he's sort of really angry about it, but um, it's a sports movie as well. So apart from all that going on, it's it's a terrific sports movie, um, and the action scenes are fantastic. Well, well, I really enjoy them, and I think you can find the action scenes on on YouTube if you look a lot. Of, there's ACDC of you know the the soundtrack oh yeah yeah and that they show parts of the movie and and there's like one guy who just puts on so much about it uh it's just a really really terrific film mm. with uh, with meaning as well it's got with a lot, meaning a lot yeah, meaning, yeah yeah a lot of political meaning as well. yeah it sounds like it's one of those sort of startlingly prescient sort of sci-fi movies that kind of says this is where the world is going nowadays the game yeah. sort of demonstrates the futility of individual effort so it kind of the whole point is there to show that you know you haven't got to hope really uh, it's, it sounds very Hunger Games I was as it, say, or, or, or Hunger Games sounds very it whichever <clears throat> way you want to look at it it's like a theme that science fiction keeps coming back to over and over again but the whole idea that there's this game that's created by the people in charge to sort of keep the people who are not in charge in their place place that sounds like like today's society I was going to say <laughs> you could draw some parallels let's turn off the uh, election <laughs> debates and watch the X Factor <laughs> yeah, shall yeah, we yeah. That's, that's more interesting yeah. So, and I mean, in this, there's some great actors. You probably heard Ralph Richardson's voice on that. Yeah. Uh, he's a librarian there? because Jonathan decides that he's going to try and find out what it's all about. And he goes to this massive computer. So, yeah, that, that's very sci-fi. 
and and he tries to find out what's going on. He doesn't really find out what's going on, but it's um there's there's some good stock stock actors in it. Can I say I don't think this has ever happened before. The, this was directed by Norman Jewison. Yeah. Last week we talked about Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. also directed by Norman Jewison. And next week Thomas Crown Affair. And these two films were made subsequently. He made Jesus Christ Superstar and followed it up with this. So two weeks on the truck, we've done two films that he made one after the other. Wow. Yeah. And That's they couldn't it. be more different. Could no, they? it's a little bit different, <laughs> isn't it? It's when, when Jesus Christ Rollerball. Yeah. So Rollerball's nowhere near as violent as the, the no. story of Jesus Christ. They, of, of course. I don't know. Those synod meetings can get very detailed. <laughs> of course, those um, those uh, th- there was a remake made of this, wasn't there? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Ball, I, 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 like, was, yeah. I was going to oh. ask you about this, like infamously go, going on to Eileen's point <laughs> about about horrible things that are made nowadays. Oh dear. Fire, infamously. Uh, 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 yeah, you are you are released. You're released Sean tell us tell us about the remake the remake's just awful I've watched it once and it was just the most one of the most awful and I think Joe agrees with me here and tell, most me, tell people, me how they got it back and tell me how they got it wrong it was totally different well they it took was, the main character from American Pie <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then they put him in the remake it was just totally different it was like a, a raceway speed track type of thing and it had all these heavy metal bands and stuff it was just like well I, I don't really remember that much about it because I was so <laughs> So, so sort of so disgusted. In, so incensed. So when we do our remake special, which I hope we're going to do, work out for us, <laughs> that can be one of the ones that I slate. The best criticism I've ever heard about a remake is, you know, as you know, I love A Room with a View, and they did a television version a few years ago, and my friend and I were texting each other while it was on because it was so bad. She says, I just can't believe it. This feels like it's the panto version. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, the director, John McTiernan, is the same guy that remade The Thomas Crown Affair, so can you see a link there? The j- director of what? The director of this remake of Rollable is the same director that remade the Thomas. Oh, but the remake Thomas of Thomas Crown Affair is actually quite good because yeah. that's also the director of Die Hard. So what are you exactly, to say? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, this is one of the films that didn't work, but John McTiernan directed some excellent action films. Predator, yeah, Die Hard one and three. Yeah, he obviously didn't try very hard with this, or something went wrong. Uh, studio telling him what to do, I reckon. It could have been. It, Oh, there's, uh, of course, classical music in that as well. I mean, oh, yeah, the back thing. Yeah, and all the back that, thing. Just one thing I wanted to say about James Caan. Oh, this seemed like a very different role for James Caan because obviously this was in the 70s. This was before The Godfather, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that's no, 75. No, it was after The Godfather. It was after The Godfather. Yeah, it was after The Godfather. So, yeah, yeah. because Godfather James Caan is always kind of like, for me, when I, say, when, I hit, when I think James Caan, even when he grew older, I think hothead. I think a guy who just sort of like you know punches people in the face before he does anything else. Oh, he's been uh, he's been in some other James Caan has been well, in some terrific movies. I have to say as well, I'm going to say this one. Sorry, is he's in a Sam Peckinpah movie called The Killer Elite. Now The Killer Elite, he's in that. <laughs> That's been remade. That's as well. been remade with Jason Statham, and again it's. But the original, if anyone gets to see the original, it's got Robert Duvall, it's got James Caan. Um, you'd you'd like it, Joe? Peckinpah's good, is he, Sean? You like Peckinpah? Yeah, but this the killer elite, and he was in a film, and he was in a film called The Gambler, which they've remade, I, which I I didn't see on this because it didn't stay at the cinema long enough. The remake, mm. but The Gambler, oh, that's already gone. Yep, oh, and been and gone. <laughs> and um, he's he's been in some terrific. I, I want to clean about Mickey Blue Eyes, but no, I when I have to say, whenever I hear James Caan, I always immediately think of uh, Paul Sheldon, the character in Misery. Misery, yes. Uh, Misery is the number one James Caan film. There's for me. Few, I, yeah. I, I love See, that I was film. thinking that one with John Wayne. What was it? Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo, mm. yeah. Where he has the hat, doesn't he? He's Mississippi right. with yeah, the big hat. Yeah, he plays Mississippi. That's it. Actually, there's a, there's a piece in that where he actually leaps under a horse, and you can see where they've um, they must have put a carpet with some sand on, and you can actually see the carpet <laughs> move a little bit. Ooh. No. Yeah, 
I thought Can't that was Eldorado. Eldorado, sorry, yeah, you're talking Eldorado. <laughs> that was, yeah, threw me there. Eldorado, that's the yeah. one. Is oh, it yeah, not Eldorado? Because it's the one no, they yeah. remade, aren't it's... they? And they're both the same film, but... I think I think there's all the same film. He made another one called Rio Lobo, which <laughs> a bit later, which I think was a remake. And, of course, Assault on Precinct. And uh, next year, Rio 2016. Yep. yep. <laughs> all right, cool. So, we're running out of time. Joe, third clue, please. Okie dokie. So, uh, some of you may have seen a... Uh, well, you have. Sharon came up with a fantastic uh, idea of not who this could be, but of the nationality of possibly this, this screen legend. I'm going to give you a quote from the screen legend. I was lousy in school. Real screwed up. I was antisocial. Didn't bother with the other kids. A really bad student. I didn't have any brains. I didn't know what I was doing there. That's why I became an actor. <laughs> what a great quote. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. And we will move on swiftly to the final item that we have in the show. And it's called I Love Movies. I'm still trying to think of a jingle for that. (laughs) I'll have to hum something. (laughs) So, I Love Movies. This is when we talk about the times when Hollywood has brushed the shores of the I Love Whites. And Sharon goes and digs and finds something for us. So, what have you found for us this week? tenuous link to the other one but no this one isn't that tenuous it's one of our native born sons it's Anthony Mingella mm. he was born on the island in 1954 at Ride and obviously his family are still here He's well his, his dad's still here I think his mother sadly passed away last year didn't yeah, she yeah she did and he, she, he's got other brothers who are in the and a sister who's in the either the business or in filmmaking and but yeah Anthony Mingella he was born and raised on the Isle of Wight it was a place that he's loved and he often talked about and famously when he won the Oscar for the film I'm going to choose he did say at the end of his little acceptance speech this is a proud day for the Isle of Wight and we all went whoop whoop because it was (laughs) (laughs) but the film for which he won that Oscar was The English Patient which he made in 1996 Oh, cool. Good stuff. So, I mean, I don't think we have enough time to play the, anything from it. But uh, could you just tell us a little bit about the English patient? A little bit about it. Yeah, the, it's, it's, it starts off with the guy who is the English patient. He's a man who's been seriously burnt and he's in hospital. And as they're trying to find out his identity, he starts telling them his story. And his story goes back, starts in the 30s, where he's involved in a love affair with a married woman in North Africa. Mm. And the film takes you from the events of that love affair and how he ended up where he was in a Burns hospital at the end of the Second World War, being nursed in in, a, in a, an old convent that's been evacuated, except for him because he's for the most seriously injured soldiers, as the sort of the, the Allies and the Germans try to fight it out in North Italy. Oh, cool, good. So yeah, he's the English patient is played by Ray Fiennes, and. Uh, he's being nursed by Juliet Binoche. Binoche, yeah. And the lady he had the love affair with in the 30s is Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah. And you see these sort of relationships, the current relationship and the one in the past and all the things that led him to where he was. And they call him the English patient because they don't know his identity, but it later turns out that he's a Hungarian cartographer. Ah. And he sounds English. You keep bumping into those Hungarian you do cartographers, they pop up don't you? Everywhere. <laughs> Can't get away from them. Yeah, and I think Kristen Scott Thomas. She won the. She won the best best supporting actor. Yeah, because oh, no, oh no, that was Julia Binoche. Julia Binoche. No, she won something. She might have won the BAFTA because right, it okay. did win nine Oscars and six BAFTAs, as well as Golden Globes. It was literally one of. It was the film of that year. Not bad for a boy from Ride. No, a boy from Ride. So, Joe, you had something to say about Mr. Mangella. I uh, just, um, yeah, it was incredibly helpful and, and supportive to me, actually. 
uh, at the time when I was going to film school and and studying film and things like that. I, I've got some uh, nice photographs with him and some lovely letters which which we wrote to each other, which were fantastic. It was um, incredibly uh, encouraging. Uh, How did you meet him? Uh, I wrote to him, first of all. It was a case of being an islander that was interested in film and wanted to go on and do film stuff. And I wrote a letter to him, and that's how it all started. And, uh, yeah, I remember at the, the Cold Mountain premiere, which was held here in Medina, um, <laughs> it was it was interesting. There was all rumours about who was going to turn up and would uh, would um, Jude, Jude Law be there and yeah. Ray Winston would be there. And in the end, it wasn't a lot of, of the, the major cast that did actually show up, but there were a few of them there. So this wasn't this wasn't the world premiere, was it? This was the, the world charity premiere, okay, gotcha. which they decided to hold here. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, and I've actually got some of the ice cream. They, the the Mingella family actually created a special flavor of cold mountain ice cream just for the event. And I have some of the ice cream tubs and things. Oh, I thought you were like going to say you kept some of the ice cream. I, from it, I, <laughs> I was going to be like, that is some dedication. No, but. that would be ridiculous. <laughs> Just moving it from house to house <laughs> in a freezer. This yeah, is the yeah. cold mountain freezer. It must never be unplugged. Right. <laughs> there are some nice little things because what Anthony Miguel used to do is he often put references to the Isle of Wight in his in his films. Mm. So sometimes you see something like a poster on the wall for something or there's a reference. And in English Patient, they actually you see a scene where... Rafe Vines is talking to Chris and Scott and there's a film show in the background and the film show is of Sandown on the Isle of Wight. Mm. People <laughs> splashing about on the beach. <laughs> and you'd only know if you knew. Yeah, so we, were, we all go, ooh, look. <laughs> and, yeah, right. and we pick up one of the references. And I think it was like, there. I think, is it his brother who was involved in Robin Hood, the television series a few years ago? He was a writer, wasn't he? He was on the writers because mm. all the place names are from the Isle of Wight. So you had places like Northwood and you had... Uh, I think there's some other villages, Chilliton. You had villages that were named Isle of Wight <laughs> villages that appeared as villages on the program. They just so, want to rebuild the Isle of Wight, so but somewhere near Nottingham. They have, yeah, they have like this affection. They obviously it's a family thing. They have this affection for the Isle of Wight that does show through their filmmaking. Yeah. Okay. Not much time, but just a really quick question because I think Anthony Mingella didn't make that many sort of feature films, did he? Because I can think of Truly Madly Deeply, well, English he Patient. He didn't start making films until sort of fairly later on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's got a few. Truly Madly English Patient, Cold Mountain, uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, Breaking There's, and Entering was one of his Breaking last ones. Breaking and Entering was one of his last ones. He also did the, the Detectives Club, didn't he? Just That was yeah, the last Yeah, Number One, one Ladies Detective Club or something like that. Yeah. Oh, he and did he that. And he had cameos in Atonement. He actually did an acting right. cameo in that. All right. And, and he apparently actually, he had a writing credit for The Reader, for which Kate Winslet won her Oscar. He, oh, yeah. He produced, his, his production uh, was... Was produce, uh, produced one of my favourite films, which is the the Quiet American, which was um, starring Michael Caine and oh, yeah, that Fraser. One. He actually produced that. So, he, although he didn't direct that many, he had uh, a lot of involvement in a lot of other films which he made. All right, cool. Good film. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. I was I was I was hoping that the Mengelas would show up on the show at some point. Then here they are. <laughs> Yay! All right, so. As we rush towards the end of the show, Joe, would you please give us what will have to be our final clue? Okay, the screen legend. Uh, <laughs> As Sean punches the air because Sean, he's sure he knows it. He thinks he's got it. He thinks it's all tied up. I'm famous for, yeah, you know, get the last, the the last, last clue. clue. I know. Okay. This screen legend is a woman. No, this screen legend uh, managed to retain his British knighthood and the title of Sir despite becoming a US citizen. Okay, cool. I got it. Yeah. I think I have one. I think uh, you, you you give me it, Sharon, when I, you were talking about it. I think it's Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah. I I, 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 I I disagree with you. I think oh. it's Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Tony to his friends like me. I call, <laughs> I, I call him Tony. 
What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I think it's Andy Hopkins. <laughs> what's, what's, uh, two two favourite Andy Hopkins films. It, it, it is Andy Hopkins, yeah. by the way. Yay! Two favourite Andy Hopkins. Two favourite Andy Hopkins. That's too hard. Magic. You, magic. Magic's yes, a great thank film. you. Magic. Is that, is that the one with the with the scary puppet? Yeah. The ventriloquist dummy. Oh, that's yeah. terrifying. It's absolutely brilliant film. Directed by... Attenborough. Attenborough, yeah. Wow. yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, Attenborough yeah. was a scary director. You'd forget that he had such a long film career because he turned up in things like International Velvet. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He's in loads yeah. of films from years and years ago. Bridge yeah. too far. Uh, there's a terrific film, yeah. we're just going to say real quickly uh, The Lion in Winter. Lion in Winter. He's got yes. Peter and Two and all that, and he's Beautiful in that. And he plays track. Richard the First. Yeah. To a terrific movie. That See was going to be my next clue, actually, if we needed another clue. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Richard the First. Lion in Winter. Uh, and obviously he likes uh, nice um, nice Chianti. <laughs> <laughs> and a nice Chianti. <laughs> I, I was going to do that actually. <laughs> but, uh, I, I quite like him in Thor. Yeah. Thor, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he don't play bad. <laughs> Beowulf. Ptolemy and Alexander. <laughs> Beowulf, yeah. <laughs> just... I, don't, I don't think anybody gums no, out Beowulf. No, I know, I know. He was pretty awful in that. Um, oh, Johnny Lord. Johnny Frost in The Bridge Too Far I, although he's later than the other uh, screen legends what I like about him is he's still working and still lighting up the screen yeah. and still being a key element to massive films even today what's, what's, what's that film with Brad Pitt when it's like in, in Montana Meet Joe Alaska. Young Meet Joe Black Meet Joe Black that's was it Legends of the Fall Legends of the Fall that's what I'm thinking a very good film very good yes. film yeah. Yeah. 19 hours long but it's very very yeah, good yeah 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 that's the Edward Zwick movie that's the one yeah all right, cool. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Thank you guys for coming along today. Thank you for doing this. Eileen, thank you for sending us on one of the most random bits of Hollywood. Thank you, Eileen. <laughs> Thanks, Eileen. That's Holly brilliant. Hollywood trivia bingo I have ever been involved in. Thank you so much, Eileen. Until the next time, until next week, everybody at the hospital, please do... We wish you all good health. Pray you all get better. Pray you get home. Pray you make it down to the cinema and pray that you remember that they do not make them like they used to. Thank you very much. Sean. I'm going to stick with Anthony Hopkins. Okay. I'm very, very pleased to say that you are both incorrect. (laughs) However, Sean did actually get it right with one of his possible suggestions. The answer is Christopher Lee. (gasps) Christopher Lee. (laughs) That was a little bit from a show we did earlier. How weird is this? That's really bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) 